We return to Job chapter 10. Job chapter 10. We are still looking at Job's response to um, Bildad's speech. And if you remember from um, chapter 8, um, Bildad was quite brutal um, in his assessment of Job and what was going on. And I think probably one of the worst things that Bildad said to Job was basically um, the death of his children was their fault. Um, so you can see how kind of brutal Bildad was. Um, Job has then been responding um, to Bildad through chapter 9. And we come to chapter 10. And Job makes a really interesting opening statement in Job 10, chapter 1. He says, my soul is weary of my life. The word weary there literally means loathing. Um, Job is basically saying, I hate my life. Um, and I wonder if sometimes um, we ever get to a point where we feel like things are not going the way we want them to go. Things have not turned out the way that we thought they should have turned out. And we get to a point where we say, I'm not a fan of the direction my life is going in. Have we ever got to a point where we've been so low that Job is basically saying, I hate my life. My soul is weary of my life. I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in bitterness of my soul. The one thing Satan wants us to do is to not be happy with our lives. You know, the attitude of the world is kind of do what makes you feel good. And as long as you can feel good, then you'll be okay. You kind of fulfill. Uh, But we know in terms of what the world has to offer compared to what the Lord has to offer... All of that is emptiness. That's exactly what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Everything that the world has to offer is worthless, pointless, emptiness, vanity. It's not worth anything in comparison to what the Lord has to offer. Um, I would rather have nothing with the Lord than everything without him. Uh, And Satan wants us to kind of get to a point where we're not satisfied with our lives. Even as Christians... Even as people who um, are on fire for the Lord, sold out for the Lord and in love with the Lord, he basically still wants us to have that sense of unfulfillment, that sense of emptiness, um, to get to the point where we we entertain the same type of thoughts as Job. Well, is this worth it? You know, my prayers are not being answered the way I think they should be answered. Is this worth it? You know, do we get to a point, we may have said, I, I, I hate my life before we became Christians, but I wonder if we've ever said that or something similar during our walk with the Lord, where things have not worked out the way we thought they should have, and we get to a point where we are unhappy um, with the way things are going. We're unhappy with our walk. We're unhappy uh, in terms of serving the Lord. And, you know, this godly man turning around saying, My soul is weary of my life. I loathe my life. I hate my life. Job saying that, we know that he's righteous. We know that he's upright. We know that he's a man who has shewed evil. Job saying that should kind of get our attention. uh, Should kind of cause us to make our ears prick up and think, well, okay, this is something that we really need to think about and consider because if this could happen to somebody like Job, it can happen to us. You know, it's incredible since COVID, the amount of people that have suffered with depression. Uh, it's incredible since COVID, the amount of people who've struggled with their mental health. 
Um, you know, and I'm talking about Christians struggling with their mental health. I'm not talking about people who have, you know, no walk with the Lord and in terms of um, a future, no hope in terms of um, uh, eternal life. I'm talking about born-again believers in Christ who know the Lord, who love the Lord, who serve the Lord. They've struggled with their mental health. Uh, and it doesn't take much. You know, it can be one thing happening in work. It can be, you know, the loss of a loved one. It can be something happening at home. It can be something small. But Satan wants to take that and magnify it so that we end up defeating ourselves. And, and, and Satan really doesn't have to lift a weapon against us. Um, he just needs to plant a seed, put a thought in, uh, and we can get to the point where our own minds run away from us, which is why Paul said about tearing down those strongholds, you know, making sure that we guard the mind as much as possible. Um, Satan pretty much beat Job to a pulp, um, physically, materially, mentally, spiritually. Um, And Satan got Job, a man who loved the Lord, who did everything that he could to be obedient to the Lord's word. Satan got Job to a point where Job just said, What's, we, we saw this last week, what's the use? What's the point? There's no point in praying, there's no point in talking to God, there's no point in talking about God, there's no point in serving God, there's literally no point. And, and we can learn a lot from, from Job's discouragement. You know, it... it <laughs> Chapter 10, it's, it's almost as if Job got to it. Let, well, let me ask you this question. How many of you, I, I mentioned this briefly on Sunday, how many of you have ever kind of got into trouble a little bit and then you thought, well, I'm in trouble now. I've kind of been caught, so I may as well just go no holds barred and just kind of go the whole way type of thing. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit in trouble, so what difference does it make if I just kind of go the rest of the way type of thing? Uh, Nobody else does that? Just you then. Just me. In for a pay, pay. exactly. So nobody here, Joe always says this, Joe says, ah, whenever you say stuff like that, um, it's just nobody else in the church was ever as naughty as you were. There we go. There we are. So anybody else kind of, I'm with me on that, you know what? All the naughty ones know where I'm going. (laughs) But Job kind of gets to that point. Job is like so frustrated. He's so down. He's so disheartened. He's almost got to the point where he's like, right, okay, I'm just going to hold nothing back now. God's going to have it both barrels. Um, You know, if he's kind of been guarded up to this point with his words, now he gets to the point where he's thinking, well, what can I lose? I've already lost pretty much everything. So it's as if Job suddenly decides that he is so tired of his miserable life. He's just going to let God have it both bars. He's just literally going to blurt out absolutely everything. And he says, my soul is weary of my life. I will leave my complaint upon myself. That word leave there in the Hebrew means to let loose, to set free, to abandon. Job was stating that he was going to abandon all restraints and he was going to give full course to his complaint. And it's interesting, you know, um, how many times that word complaint uh, comes up in Job. It is a common word 
on his lips. And it pretty much sums up his discontent. And, and, and here's the thing. What we need to be careful of when we get to a point where we are, I suppose, feeling a certain way about our lives, it can cause us to be constant complainers. Where even if something goes right, we can find something to complain about. You know, we often say that, you know, um, optimistic people are those who say, oh, well, every cloud has a silver lining. And this type of person is like, oh, well, every silver lining has a cloud, you know, is kind of... They complain about absolutely everything. And can I say this? They're not pleasant people to be around. Um, because if they'll find fault in everything. And they'll complain about everything. And they'll complain about everyone. Um, some people live their lives being like that. Being full-time complainers. And they've got nothing good to say. Because everything they view, they view through negative eyes um nothing is right at all and it's kind of like a self self perpetuating you know the more they complain the more they see fault in everybody then the more negativity they see and that kind of negativity breeds negativity um and it's like a self-perpetuating cycle and they they gripe and just leaves them miserable and then what happens then is, is they just spread misery wherever they go can i say this to you they're not pleasant people to be around um, let's be honest, if you were feeling down and you bump into somebody, it's nice then when they kind of lift you up. But if you were feeling down and you bump into somebody who was just like an absolute great merchant, you're like, oh, my days, I don't want to bump into them again. It's like I was feeling bad enough as it was. Um, and Job is kind of getting to that point. He's, he's pretty much saying, well, what else have I got to lose? I, I read this this week and I thought this was great. This was a prayer that was offered by somebody and it says this, Lord, you said if I want to follow you, I will need to carry my cross every day. I want to follow, Lord, but there are days when I'm dragging my cross, making a trail for everyone to see. There are days when I'm pushing my cross, making my own path miserable and dusty. There are days when I'm sitting on my cross, trying to get comfortable and going nowhere. There are days when I'm giving my cross to somebody else who already has one of his own. Help me, dear Lord, to carry my cross. When it's up there, it leaves no room for the chip that's on my shoulder. Job struggled. He got to a point where this complaining was almost self-perpetual. And what happened then is that that left him bitter. He said, I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. And what he's basically saying there is he would be continually bitter. He would be continually bitter. Um, it's difficult to be happy and enjoy your life when you're bitter all the time. If you are aggravated with somebody and you're bitter towards somebody, that person then, um, to coin a phrase that he views quite a lot, lives rent-free in your head. You know, they... Don't cost them anything. Um, you are so aggravated towards them that they take up your whole waking moment. It's very hard to be happy. It's very hard to have the joy of the Lord. It's very hard um, to live a life of joy when you are constantly aggravated and bitter towards somebody. Uh, it's difficult to be enjoy things then. Um, bitterness hinders your ability to. To love one another, bitterness hinders your ability to love the Lord, to serve the Lord, to be 
um, and, and to take up your position in the body of Christ spiritually. Um, that's why James referred to the bitterness as devilish. He said in James uh, 3.14, But if ye have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. And James said bitterness is of the devil. Well, the devil doesn't have residence in our hearts. The Holy Spirit does. So if you were bitter towards somebody, or you were bitter about a situation then you are allowing the devil to get a foothold in your life um, because bitterness is from the devil. Paul says to get rid of it. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Bitterness poisons the inner being of a person. As we've said before, bitterness is like when you're bitter towards somebody, bitterness is like drinking poison yourself and expecting it to affect the other person. It won't. You know, they're probably blissfully unaware that you were so aggravated towards them that it's eating up you in every waking moment. And that's not just bitter about people. It's bitter about situations, circumstances. Sometimes we can't change the circumstance. We can't alter what's happened. But we can alter the way in which we feel about it because sometimes things happen to us and we get so aggravated that it does take up our every waking moment you know when something happens that we're not happy with how are we to know that God hasn't stopped that from you know from allowing us to get that promotion because he knows something really bad's going to happen a bit further down the road you know we get aggravated sometimes when um, we're delayed in the car you know, we were, uh, we were coming home from um, Cardiff last Thursday and uh, we kind of got held up and then I'm like, oh, are we going to be caught in the traffic now on the A4323 and 3432, anyway, the concrete road. Um, oh, and I hate that road. I'm like, oh, are we going to be caught up? And, but if we had been, if we had left the time that we should have left, just up the road, there was such a bad accident. I mean, it, it, it shut the road down for a, for a bit, but you know, that could have been our car. You know, whether we'd gone into the back of somebody or they had gone into the back of us. And sometimes we think, you know, even with the small things, the small delays, we get aggravated and worked up. And what if by God's divine providence, he's been like, you need to stop a minute now because I, I need this as a divine delay so that you were not in that position. But we tend to get aggravated with it and bend out of shape and we become bitter. And we say sometimes, I can't help it. We can. Paul says, let all bitterness be put away from you. So it is within, I want to say within our power, but we have somebody indwelling us that has the power to be able to banish all of those type of feelings because we're told to be filled with the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit doesn't include bitterness, wrath, and anger. In fact, the fruit of the Spirit includes the exact opposite of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. We're meant to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the devil. Anger and bitterness eventually leaves the bitter person emotionally drained. What happens then is, is the rose-tinted spectacles... It's the, you've got like 
whatever the anti version of that is, everything you look at, you, you look at from a negative aspect. Every person you come in contact with, you're aggravated with because you, you automatically think that they are maybe going to do something or say something and you're aggravated with them before they even open their mouths. Because that bitterness has just eaten us up inside completely. If we're struggling with that, God doesn't want us to feel that way. So we've got to ask the Lord to help us put away that bitterness. To be filled with the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit, to yield to the Spirit of God. To not be drunk with wine where it is in excess, but to be filled with the Spirit. Chapter 10 um, is like a, a prayer packed with queries. Um, we're going to split the chapter out into five, five questions and we, we, we <coughs> probably definitely cover one, maybe two tonight. But chapter five is f- um, divided into five questions. And the first question, Job is basically asking, why does God afflict me? Why does God afflict me? I will say unto God in verse two, do not condemn me. Show me wherefore thou contendest with me. Is it good unto thee that thou shouldest oppress, that thou shouldest despise the work of thine hands and shine upon the counsel of the wicked? Job is asking, why does God afflict me? Um, Now then, his friends have no doubt as to why God is afflicting Job. Um, His friends are basically saying, well, it's your fault. You've sinned in some way. You've brought this on yourself. Um, You've got nobody else to blame but you. But Job is completely bewildered by why this is happening. If you remember the type of character that Job was, we go back um, to those first few chapters where we see Job offering sacrifices for his children just in case they unintentionally sinned. That's the type of person Job is. So Job, if he's offering sacrifices for his kids just in case they may have said something unintentionally that brought dishonor to God, that they may have thought something um, unbeknown to them, that would have caused them to not be in a right relationship with the Lord. That's the type of person that Job was. So if he's got that concern for his kids, I can promise you this, he's got that concern and more for his own walk. Um, So Job is confused as to why um, this is happening. Uh, As far as his friends are concerned, this is all um, Job's fault. But, you know, Job, and here's the incredible thing. Um, Job doesn't make any attempt to shuffle off the responsibility from God to something or someone else. He doesn't blame the weather. He doesn't blame the hostile tribes. He doesn't blame um, supernatural enemies. He's addressing God personally and pleading with God to not condemn him without any kind of explanation. Again, we have... Um, an incredible um, hindsight here because we've seen the conversation taking place in heaven. Job hasn't. Um, so he says, I will say to God, do not condemn me. Again, um, just like complain, condemn is a key word in the book of Job, appearing 11 times. And most importantly, it's used finally by God himself when he asks Job, wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Will thou condemn me? that thou mayest be righteous. Feeling so unfairly treated, what Job is doing here, he's actually casting doubt upon the goodness of God. 
Um, you know, we often kind of get frustrated with unbelievers when they say, if there's a God, why is this happening? If there's a God, why is there famines in the world? If there's a God, why is there cancers? If there's a God, why do children have to suffer? If there's a God. Um, in Job's resentment, he's actually casting doubt on the goodness of God. He said, is it good unto thee that thou shouldest oppress, that thou shouldest despise the work of thine hands and shine upon the counsel of the wicked? Job is basically accusing God of being an oppressor. Um, that word oppressed there um, can also be um, translated as deceived, defraud, do wrongful violence. God taught his people in Leviticus 19.30 and he said, thou shalt not defraud. Um, that's the same Hebrew word for oppress. In um, Deuteronomy 24, 14, thou shalt not oppress. The Lord takes up the cause of the underdog and he says that he executes judgment for the oppressed. Um, and, and again, um, you know, in regards to the coming messianic king, he is to break in pieces the oppressor. So God is not um, somebody who um, is an oppressor. Job is basically saying that God has turned his back on his handiwork. Those that God has created, God has turned his back on. Is it good unto thee that thou shouldest oppress, that thou shouldest despise the work of thine hands? Can it bring God pleasure to turn his back on his own handiwork? Job is saying, look, you're not being fair to me. And yet all of these wicked people are prospering. Shining upon the counsel of the wicked. Job just felt unfairly treated by the Lord. He basically saying that God has oppressed him while the wicked get away with murder. While the wicked is almost, you know, and we could probably say the same thing today when we look at the world. You know, the wicked get away with everything. But then, you know, how many times... Um, do we see other people uh, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ being oppressed by the world? You know, it's really interesting that um, the SNP uh, leadership uh, vote. I think it was a Christian lady who opposed, um, and, I, and I, I'm not sure if she um, if she voted a certain way or if she just um, made a statement of the fact that she supported traditional marriage, and the media crucified her however the muslim leader now of the smp um they skirted around the issue when it came to homosexuality they didn't really grill him upon it um and the answer he did give was kind of so vague it was unbelievable but it's incredible how a muslim got a free pass on an issue like that but the Christian was absolutely taken to the coals. Um, and we see that in the world today, don't we? We kind of see the wicked getting away with everything. Yeah. But if you're a Christian, you are fair game. You know, you can wear your hijab in work, but don't you dare wear a cross. Because that's, you know, that's, that's causing offence to somebody else. Um, and, and that's basically what Job is saying. He's like, you know, I'm kind of feeling hard done by you. 
and the wicked are getting away with everything. Why am I um, suffering? Why does God afflict me? And then he asked the question uh, in verses 4 to 7, are God's actions governed by human limitations? He says, hast thou eyes of flesh, or seest thou as man seeth? Um, are thy days as the days of a man? Are thy years as man's days, that thou inquirest after mine iniquity and searchest after my sin? Thou knowest that I am not wicked, and there is none that can deliver out of thy hand. God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Um, is it conceivable that the living God sees the same way that men see, judging on the same basis of outward appearance? Um, that's what Job's friends have done. Job's friends have looked at his condition, and from that, they've presumed to read his heart. Well, you know, you must have sinned. You must have done something really wicked for God to act in this way. Um, and, and it's kind of, again, you... You see the desperation of Job. You see the, the, the almost the depravity in his speech of where he's getting to. He's getting so frustrated with God now. Um, and it's a, a, a wild speculation um, that Job is kind of making. And don't forget now, Job is talking out loud. So he's, he's not just talking to God, but he's addressing his friends as well. Um, so that they're in, in, in your shot of... Of what he's saying. Um, we understand that God is infallible. That God is all knowing. The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. And he pondereth all his goings. Um, Proverbs said the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Beholding the evil and the good. Hannah said the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him actions are weighed. The believer takes delight in the omniscience of God. Um, it's a great comfort, uh, comfort to us that our God is all-knowing, all-powerful, that he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he's um, omnipotent, and, and, and that gives us great comfort. And that's why we're able to say, search me, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me, that because he, he knows my heart, he tries me, he knows my thoughts. There's no restrictions to God's knowledge. God knew everything about Job. He knew more about Job than Job knew himself. There's no human limitations when it comes to the Lord. He says in verse 5, Are my days as the days of man, and thy years as man's days? So verse 5 uses two different words for man. The first word, are thy days as the days of man? That can also be translated as mortal because it's suggestive of man in his frailty. Um, and that's used 18 times in the book of Job. And then the second word for man is used 15 times in the book of Job, referring to man's strength. So basically Job is saying, are the days as the days of a mortal? Um, or are the years as man in his strength? Um, either way, pitiful or powerful, men are shackled by time. Um, you know, there's nothing we can do um, to prolong that. But God is outside of time. God is infinite. God is not confined by time. 
You know, he is the beginning and the end at the same time. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Um, he's not confined by time. He's infinite, eternal, all-knowing. He's, he's wise. He is not confined like his creatures are by the hindrance of time. Job could understand that if a man had inflicted these sufferings on him to probe his heart because man is constrained by time and Job could kind of comprehend that in a way. Um, But what Job uh, is struggling with here is why is God doing this in such rapid succession? Because he's God, he must know that Job wasn't wicked. That he wasn't deserving of this. And it didn't make any sense to Job whatsoever. At this time of his life, Job is is really down. And you can feel that in his words. Like I say, he's got to a point now where he's saying, well, do you know what? There's no point in holding back. Because I am so done. I'm just going to unload and unleash. He feels helpless. Because God is all-powerful. He he said in the previous chapter, I I can't argue with God. It's not an argument that I'm ever going to win. Picking a fight with God or defying his word in a fight that you are not going to win. The best decision we can make is submit to the Lord's will. And say, right, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? How do you want me to react in this situation? You're telling me not to be bitter about it, but I'm struggling because what's happened is not fair. I'm struggling because what's happened, I feel unjustly treated and fairly treated and starting to kind of eat me up inside. That's the time to throw ourselves upon the Lord's mercy and just ask him for help. Rather than shaking our fists at him and blaming him for what's going wrong. That's the time we come and say, okay, Lord, you've got to give me the strength to get through this. You've got to give me the grace to get through this. You've got to give me the help that I need to get through this. To not be bitter. To not be angry. To not talk down to you or to badmouth you to everybody I come in contact with because things haven't gone my way. The Lord's the one who gives us the stability in life when things get a bit rickety. The Lord's the one who gives us the serenity in life when things start to get a bit shaky. The Lord's the one that gives us clarity in our life when things start to get a little bit foggy. The Lord's the one that can help. He said, I am the vine, you the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. We can't do this on our own. We can't. We, any trial that we face, we can't do it in our own strength. Any difficulty we come up against, we can't get through it in our own wisdom. Anytime we come to a moment of grief in our life, we can't suck it up and come on. You know, the British way is stiff up a lip and just get on with it. We can't do it. Outwardly, we might be able to put on a facade. But the Lord knows exactly what's going on inwardly. And that's the bit that we need help for him to lend a touch. For us to be able to 
just keep putting one foot in front of the other in our walk with him. When mankind floundered helplessly in sin, Christ paid the ultimate price so we could have eternal life. And he said, look, I will give you another comforter. We've got something that Job never had. The complete word of God in our hands. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Remember now in the Old Testament, the the Holy Spirit just rested on people, never indwelt them. Which is why David was panicked. He said, don't take your spirit away from me. We see the spirit being removed from Saul. We've got something that Job never had. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We've got something. (laughs) Remember how Job didn't have a single piece of written scripture available to him. Possibly Job is the oldest scripture in our Bible. You know, predating um, the Pentateuch. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is what gives us the help that we need to face everything that life throws at us. When we say, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, the honest answer is we can't. You're not going to get through it. But he'll get you through it. He'll give you the strength to get through it. He'll give you the comfort to get through it. He'll give you the help to get through it. And we can only do it when we really know his peace and his presence in our lives. We've always said, you know, trials are going to do one of two things to us. They're either going to make us bitter or they're going to make us better. You see Job getting to a really low point in his life. He's got to a point where he is just absolutely unloading on the Lord. How interesting that the Lord Jesus Christ said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which give them unto me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Job felt himself brutally gripped in the hand of God's wrath. Believers know themselves safe and secure in the tenderness of the Lord's hand. In the course of human history, it seems true that over long stretches of time, evil empires climb to the pinnacle and are nowhere to be seen years down. We see that in the Babylonian Empire, in the Persian Empire, in the, in the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, the British Empire. God's word will always stand. God's truth will always prevail. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never, ever fail. Job kind of demands an audience with God and he's going to get his wish. But that's a wish that I'm sure Job would have wanted to have taken back once God started speaking. You know, sometimes we make demands of God and I'm thankful he doesn't always give us what we demand because he knows what we need far better than we know what we need. So let's just trust the Lord and let's not get bitter towards him and towards everybody else because we haven't got a dog that we can go home and kick and there's no need to take it out on 
the wife or the kids or the husband, whatever it is. Let's just bring it before the Lord. There's no need to get bitter about it because bitterness is going to absolutely destroy you. And that's of the devil. And I'm sure as God's children, doesn't want us behaving like the devil. Father, we just prayed you'd help us tonight, Lord, and just bless us as we just ponder these feelings that Job had, Lord. Uh, we we recognise that he must be at his wit's end. We recognise the fact that having lost so much and been in so much pain, uh, that the only thing he felt that he could do uh, was lash out at the only person that loved him unconditionally. And Father, we often find that true in our own lives, that we lash out at the people closest to us because there doesn't seem to be any other way to vent our frustration or our hurt or even our bitterness. But Father, I pray that you would just lend a touch to each and every one of us. If we are facing situations we don't understand and we're going through difficulties that we can't seem to find a way out of, would you just give us the grace that we need to face these difficulties, knowing that you are not just with us, that you will never leave us or forsake us, but that you have taken up residence within us and that you're the only one that can give us a peace that we need in a time of such hurt, grief, anger, frustration and bitterness. So would you help replace all of those feelings when we go through these times of uncertainties and times of trials that we might be more like the Lord Jesus Christ in the way in which we live our lives and the way in which we approach these difficulties that we face. For we pray and ask these things in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, thanks for joining us online. We will see you all on Sunday at 11 o'clock. All right, everybody got a, a prayer list?